So we're going to um, basically be launching a mini-series. God bless you, child. <laughs> Whatever works. Uh, talking about the Great Commission, Great Commission found in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. Jesus says, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go ye therefore. Because he has this authority, the onus is on us to go. The call is on us. The commissioning is on us to go and make disciples of all nations. The great commission of the church is missions whether that's local, extra-local, foreign field, or worldwide. Actually, when Jesus uh, describes it to the disciples, uh, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses of me uh, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and into the outermost parts of the earth. It keeps going out in concentric circles until the whole earth is overwhelmed by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the Great Commission. It's a missions call to the body of Christ. And in missions, uh, there are three parties essentially involved. Uh, number one is the goer, the one who goes. Uh, number two is the sender. Uh, in our instance, we are the sending church for the abbots. The abbots went, we sent them. And then there is the empowerer, which is the Holy Spirit. In Acts 13.1, it says... Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menenaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You see, there's the goer the empowerer, the sender. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, the great commissioning, the missionary call, the missions call to the church uh, by the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to have with us uh, Mike and Jeannie Mears, who are with YWAM in the South Pacific, and they're on the, uh, the Mercy Ship. And it sails around to all these remote islands throughout the South Pacific doing uh, emergency surgery work and medical care for, for people. He's been involved there. We've been supporting them for a number of years. They're in the States, and we thought, well, have them come in. Uh, we've also found out that the Sleeps are back from Malaysia, uh, although they haven't stepped in uh, to see us yet. I think they're out in Michigan this week. Uh, they've also said they'd like to come and, and share. Uh, we've been supporting them for the last three years in an undisclosed location in Malaysia because of the threat uh, against the work that they were doing there. It was very extreme. So we'll be very excited to have them uh, coming in and sharing their stuff. Uh, but today we thought we wanted to launch this uh, with kind of a combination of, of local, extra-local, two worldwide. In other words, local folks, part of this body, part of us, who have gone out short-term and come back in. 
they're, they've answered a call for a short-term missions trip. They've gone. They've done that. And uh, just so you know, you know, the sending isn't always the church. Okay? And so the first two young ladies, Emily and Maggie, are going to come up. Uh, they were sent by Laconia Christian School to Honduras late, uh, recently, right? How, two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? Four weeks ago? Some, sometime in 2013, they were sent to Honduras. And so they're going to, they're gonna, it, w- it was 2014? January 7th. All right. Wow. It was a good trip, though, right? She is still in jet lag. That's all this is about. So, so girls, come up and, and share. Um, we went to Honduras, and there was a lot to learn from the um, poverty to the connection with the kids despite the language barrier to um, the lesson, I'm going to jump right in, the lesson that God taught me was um, to trust in him. We're supposed to have a six-month um, expiration date on our passports, and mine only had five, so I was like, our principal called my dad the night before and said, she might not get on so I freaked out. We've been preparing for like three months. So um, I was praying a lot. Texted a lot of people. Everyone else was praying. From <laughs> California to other places, there was a lot of prayer for the passport to go through. And I didn't, I still didn't trust God to have it go through. We were at the airport and it went through the machine. The lady who was checking the bags, it went through there. She didn't even look at the date. It was Honduras's rule, actually. So when we got to Honduras, the people at customs, the guy, he was looking at the passport, but our teacher speaks Spanish, and she was talking to him the whole time. He was just stamping it, and he wasn't even looking at the date. And I was like, yes. I was just looking at him, please don't look at the date. So he didn't look at it, and I went right through, and it was awesome. So um, the next thing was that um, we went to a village while – some people went to the prison, and my parents didn't want me to, so I went um, to the village surrounding it. And there were, they said, wear pants because we don't want, there will be guys in the village, and they might whistle at you. They will whistle at you. And that kind of freaked me out a little bit. So we were there, and um, there were these guys on a rooftop while we were in this house giving out Barbie dolls and clothes to the little kids. And um, they were whistling and waving, and I was like, eh, don't look. Um, but then there were these little kids in this house across the street, and they whistled and waved. And I was like, that's weird. We're doing the same thing. <laughs> they're, maybe they're just trying to say hi. And then the guys come down from the rooftop, and they come over into the house, and they're talking to us, trying to translate, and because we have this one teacher that speaks Spanish. And it was awesome. They weren't, they didn't have bad intentions at all, and I should have trusted God to keep us safe. But so that was another thing. And then um, starting two years ago, I have been getting migraines. And I get this thing where um, my peripheral vision goes blurry or one whole eye just goes blurry. It's weird. And I know that my migraine is coming on from that. So I got that on the bus ride to the school. We were supposed to have a work day. And um, I was painting a library. And we were all really quiet because we were just quiet three people. And my principal, he goes, 
why are you guys so quiet? I was like, I don't have nothing to talk about while you're painting. And um, later, like 10 minutes later, he goes, are you homesick? I was like, no, I'm not homesick. Um, I have a migraine. And he goes, oh, well, do you want to go lay down? And I was like, no, I go out. I'm going to go splash some water on my forehead. So I go to the bathroom, and I put some water on my forehead, and I just broke down. And my friend came in, and she got me some Advil. And usually that doesn't help. Usually I have to go to sleep, take Advil, put a cold washcloth on my head, and I wake up the next morning, and it's still sort of there. And my parents have prayed over me before, and that's not done anything. And then, um, so after I took my Advil, we journaled through the book of James while we were there. We were in chapter 3. And before we started journaling, the whole group prayed over me. And it took a half hour, so by the time we were done journaling, my migraine was completely gone, and I was, that's never happened before. It, like I said, it takes till the next morning, and it's still there. So he showed me lots of different ways where I should trust him, and I don't. So that was my experience. Hi, church. <laughs> um, okay, so our group. The 10th or the 11th and 12th, yeah, the junior and senior um, grades at our school go to Honduras every year. Um, and this is my first, or no, it's my second year here because um, I'm from Connecticut. So, um, so I, I kind of am at that point where I'm a you know rebellious little kid and I don't really believe in God, but I do because I go to a Christian school and I go to church and I have Christian parents and Christian relatives and Christian friends and I'm supposed to be a Christian because I have to fit in. Um, But then I went to Honduras and Honduras is this really corrupt, like an awful corrupt um, government and there is trash everywhere on the ground and we went to this village um, which is in the center of the city. Like, you'd think that the poorest places would be on the outside, but it's in the center. Like, the heart of the city is this dirt, like, hill almost. And there's a river right next to it, and um, there are just these shacks, like hundreds hundreds of like shacks with these little kids and parents and just, like, single moms because um, their husbands, most of them, are a part of a gang, um, and those gang members are sent to prison, obviously, and um, so these single moms with two or three kids, and the kids play in this river that's right next to it, right next to their village, and it's literally white water, just white, because it's so polluted and disgusting, and so we're walking around, and you know, we're just a bunch of white people, you know, walking around with all these poor little Spanish kids, and they were so sweet. Um, So anyways, we're walking down through this village, and they're talking about all the poverty and how how sad and all all this stuff, but they still found a way to be happy. These little kids were playing in this river of just, like, you can't even imagine what was in it, and just, like, this (laughs) dried-up, like, trash was on the side, and these pigs were eating it like just like normal this is everyday stuff for these little kids and these little kids have water bottles like 
you don't know how old they are. They're just dipping them in the water and splashing each other with it. And they were running around laughing and having so much fun drinking it, take a swig, and then just keep going. And it was, we were so disgusted, but they were having so much fun. And, like, even, even I know kids that are playing in clean water and don't have that much fun. And it was so weird. <laughs> like, these kids were incredible. So, anyways, um, I think my absolute favorite part was going to this prison. So, um, Emily, there were two. We kind of separated because um, one half of the group wanted to go to the prison and talk with all the homies. That's what they call them, homies. So they're the gang members. And the other half wanted to stay in the village and, um, you know, hand out Barbie dolls and clothes to all the um, poor kids and stuff like that. So uh, we went to the prison, and the prison is full of really big, scary, like, Hispanic guys with tattoos all over their face, and they're, like, 7'2", and they're just really big, and <laughs> terrifying. So we were told, like, we were told, listen, like, don't be afraid. Like, we have connections. They're never going to hurt us. And, you know, of course, we're all thinking, oh, yeah, okay, your connection's going to do a lot for us, okay. But the thing is, is that Honduran prisons are way different from American prisons. Honduran prisons are just open, like big and open, almost like this, but they're like corridors almost, like kind of like hallways. And so we, we show up at the front gate, and it's this big metal, like black iron gate, and they have that tiny little eye slot and you know the guard on the inside slides it open really fast and he's like what do you want so we finally it takes us like 20 minutes we get in and then the guards are like checking us and like you know give me your passport give me everything so we're like okay so we hand passports and stuff like that and at this point we're terrified because these guards are so scary and it was funny because we finally got in after like the third checkpoint we finally get into the prison and we start meeting the guys and they we I've never felt more comfortable in my life with all those homies I can't even explain the comfortable like it was almost like I was in my living room with 200 of these huge seven foot two <laughs> guys who were like dipped in tattoos and they were, you know, they were in there for, they were in there for killing people, for selling drugs, for all the wrong things. And I've never felt more comfortable in my entire life living or sitting in there, just sitting in plastic chairs. And we gave testimonies. And of course, you know, what, how good could your testimony be if you're a white girl from the Golden States, you know? So I know I shared my like, darkest part of my life which really isn't that bad but um so I shared it and these guys you know you'd expect after 10 minutes for them to just leave because they don't want to hear my complaints I'm from the U.S. like they really I don't have that bad of a life but they're just they're sitting there and they listen and most of them are squatting down like because we they didn't have chairs but we did so they're all squatting there, and since we're in this long hallway, they're on either side of us, and we're sitting in rows in the hallway. And it was so weird because these big guys are crowding over us and looking at us from either side. So you, if, if you wanted to leave, you were not leaving. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're sitting there, and then uh, afterwards it was going to be kind of awkward because, you know, that's, I fi that's what I figured, you know. We're supposed to stay there for another hour or two. And I was like, how am I going to get through two hours with these guys? 
I just shared my testimony, which was such, like, just complaints, me complaining about how good my life is. <laughs> and, um, you know, these men have kids who have been shot and killed. They have, there's a nine-year-old that I got to meet his mom, and she said, yeah, my nine-year-old was, uh, took a bullet to the head for me. He's nine years old. He's a baby. <laughs> and I got to meet his dad, and his, his dad was so sweet. And he's just like, these guys have been through hell, like absolute hell. And they, you know, and they, they actually believe in God. And, like, if I have been through that much, even half as bad as that. Like, I complain about being from the U.S. <laughs> like, could, I can't even imagine getting a touch of the pain that they've been in. And I think it was just a big wake-up call because these guys have been through so much, and I've been through so little, but I complain so much about it, like ten times more than they do. And it's just, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like frustrating for me because here I am coming from New Hampshire, which is a really pretty nice place, and going to Honduras where there's trash in the rivers and there are kids playing in it and drinking it, and bathing in it. <laughs> I don't know. It was just kind of a big wake-up call. Just like not to take care, you know, just don't take for granted what you have, even if it isn't that great. Because <laughs> um, there are people who have it much worse. <laughs> well, I don't know. That's just my, my, my thing, so. So good morning, and um, what, oh, good morning, I'm Martha, I'm his wife, and um, I wanted to share with you about my trip to New Zealand, but I want to first share with you a letter from Gretchen and Jeremy, we, we put out a call and got together some money and gave it to them so they could, you know, catch up on their bills, and so this is a greeting from them, dear church family, Greetings, we wanted to take a moment and thank you all for your encouraging words, your love and faithfulness towards us. It is incredible to know of the support we have from you. As well, the gifts financially were over the top. We pray um, God covers you all with his blessings. So much as we miss you all, we certainly aren't missing all that terrible cold weather. Our summer is in full swing, never extremely hot nor cold here. I, we pray you can all keep warm and safe until we... Chat again, press on to Christ, seeking more of him and what his next move is for you individually and as a church family. We love you all. Eagerly await for you to come visit us down under. And I hope you will also. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help me, Lord God, to um, share your heart with this congregation about the ties with the family Abbott and about the journey vineyard where they are planted in New Zealand and that connection with our church. You drew our family, not my family, but our family, to go and join with the church you're planting there. And you have something in mind concern them. I pray, Lord, that I would convey that this morning. Ephesians 3.14 says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You are the family of God. Could, could you say that? I am the family of God. 
Uh, that's right. Look around. Look at somebody, not your family, not your blood family. Look at somebody and just, I want you to see that you are a part of the family of God. Okay? His family. You're his kids. Okay? We have a connection like no other connection on earth. It, you know, it's more intimate than, except for the, a man and a woman is, a man and a wife. We bring heaven to earth here in this place. Um, and we draw, as we draw closer to him, he draws close to us. When, when we worship on our own, you know, the songs we sang this morning, you could, every one of us could have sung them on our own. We could have connected with God with them, and it would have been glorious to God and beneficial to us. But something that when we gather together is something that happens. And you experienced it this morning. When we worship together, there's something that connects us and brings us into a realm of, of worship in the spirit that God intended because he intended to have families all over the earth. We're the Lakes Region Vineyard family. A family is lots of different things, okay? But one of the things that in the definitions of a family was a congregation. And we are that family. Um, I, I wonder, do you, you all have a bulletin. Look at that picture on the front of that bulletin. Last week I talked about the painting that Zoe did and how valuable you are to her, how much they miss you and the connection here with you all. And I, I want you to get a hold of how valuable you are to each other. You may think, oh, I just see them on Sundays. How many other people do you see every week on Sunday? How many, even of your own family, you know, aunts, uncles, do you get together with and worship the King of Glory with every week? There's something God is doing in you. The Abbots were um, a part of our church since 1992. I mean, even though they were our kids, they were a part of our church, vitally. I mean, the kids were all born right in, into our house church and into a, you know, bounced from knee to knee, you know, all of them. And um, how many of you remember Gretchen being eight months pregnant and being a part of Tom Clare's dance group, you know? And it, she glowed. It was so beautiful, you know? They were just were a vital part of who we are. And youth leaders for um, eight years, way beyond uh, what, you know, they normally suggest you do <laughs> as youth leaders. And they went over there. I mean, they spent a year leaving here. You know, when Gretchen finally, Jeremy heard the word, you know, like two years before Gretchen did. And she's like, I can't make that kind of a move. I got to hear from God, you know. When she heard, it was all over. For a year, she drove herself, packed her bags, sold her home, moved her kids, moved in with us for seven months, <laughs> which was amazing. And, and drove, they literally just did it all, that left everything behind and went over there. And they had an expectation that here we are going out on the mission field, and they knew that half the people in New Zealand were not saved, and, you know, we're going to go out and preach the gospel every day, and we're going to be, you know, working in the church. And we're gonna, well, you know what? None of it happened. It didn't happen. Did anybody here ever have a, an expectation that they poured themselves into and didn't happen the way you thought, you know? Aside from leaving everyone behind, they, they didn't have the met, they didn't get met the way they wanted, felt, felt like they were going to be. First of all, over there, everything takes twice as long. It's a slow country. We're fast. Everything just takes its time. 
And, and so it took its toll. And Gretchen began, she, she was crying every day. I got to go home, Mama. I got to save the money so I can get back home. And it was just total shock for her. And, and she went through a period of time where they really had to come and undergird her. And Dominic was probably her greatest strength. But she really ended up going to the Lord for comfort. He, and he, he helped her through that time. And, and one of the things he said to her is, Mom's common. I'm sending Mom and helped her to know that I was going to be able to come over and, and, and just help her. Who, who, who knows what that would look like. But, and, um, you know, when people go out on the mission, mission field or when they go anywhere, this kind of thing happens. That wasn't new to the world. I've talked to many people who leave home, go somewhere, and they go through depression. They go through because they've left behind. They've lost something. Even though they're gaining what God is giving to them, it wasn't easy, and it's not easy. What do you think it was like for the pilgrims when they came here? We watched this program called Monumental, and it was about those pilgrims who came over here and what they went through to get here, to preach the gospel, to live in freedom, and to, to sow seeds that are you are the fruit of the seeds that they sowed. Half of them died. They had no one coming to cheer them on. They had no one coming to comfort them. And yet they did it. And yet they went forward. And part of, it's part of our call. It's part of Emily and, and Maggie going. It's part, you've got to go and just do. Um, one of the words that, that the Lord gave me in this is... Um, That word comfort, John 14, 16 says, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And the 26 says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring things, all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. John 15, 26 But when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. That word comforter is so important. It, it seems like, how can that be so val- Except it's a title of God that he comforts you. Anybody here ever been comforted? Have you ever comforted anybody? It's so valuable. The, uh, Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And the message says, You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then. Can you be embraced by the one most dear to you? In her pain and in their, you know, disappointment, they got comforted. They got to experience something from God that they perhaps never experienced before. And, by the way, they're doing much better. The word comfort means to cause to feel less worried, upset, or frightened. To cheer someone up. Does this seem important? It really, really is. And I want to read you the, um, these scriptures, 2 Corinthians uh, 1, uh, 3 through 7, because they're, they're poignant. 
Um, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Isn't that cool? So you have a trial, you get comforted, and you turn around over here, you comfort someone else just like God comforted you. If we are afflicted, if we are, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So I went to comfort my daughter. You know, um, if you go from New Hampshire all the way down to New Zealand across Africa, 19,000 miles or more, okay, to go across the country and then down to Hawaii and then down 9,500 miles. Any way you look at it, it's a long ways away. They are far away from us. There are four and a half million people living in New Zealand and three and a half million of them live on the North Island where Gretchen and Jeremy live and (coughs) only less than 50% of them are Christians of some denomination. The rest are not. That's a a large gap. The Maori are the native population and um, although they dress like you and I, there's this tribalness about them that kind of permeates everything there and um, like, for instance, they go barefoot everywhere, from the bank and church. And, and, and it's not just because it's summer. It's just this is the way they are. They're tribal people. And every game, like football game or soccer game, they start off with this ritual thing that they go, ooh, 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 you know, and their tongues hang down to their navels, and they do all these scary things to, to try to make you afraid of them. We're going to beat you. Watch and see, because we're so ugly and so bad, you know. But it, it's... It's part of their culture, and because um, when the, the Europeans went over and they, they kind of really stole th- from the Maori, they took their tribal lands, they took everything, just like we kind of did here. What? Five minutes. Okay. At any rate, so the government tries to make up for that. That means i got to cut it short in case you didn't get that. All right. I want to share with you something that happened. That's just a little history of them, but because... The church wasn't functioning, you know, and embracing them the way they thought. And because things just weren't what they expected, I watched something happening. You know, I wanted to just be a a mom and a grandmother. But there was a tragedy happening in the church. A young couple with three kids had to face a decision. She was bleeding. She was pregnant 22 months. And um, 22 weeks. (laughs) Good one. And um, that was a long pregnancy. At any rate, she was going to lose, either lose her life or lose the baby. And the husband had to decide to take that baby cesarean and give a chance for it to live or not or lose his wife. And he made the decision to take the baby cesarean, and the baby didn't live. Everyone was praying, of course, that God would save the baby and the mother, and it didn't happen. And there was a sadness in that congregation. And Tina asked me, would I come and help her? prepare for this funeral for this family you know it was really hard but you know what I watched God do something amazing in this church as she handled this tragedy in such a beautiful way she her husband working nights so she had to kind of be the pastor and she was fabulous at it and didn't know it she didn't know that God was using her 
This family had angels visiting them in the hospital, in their home, encouraging them. Though they lost this baby, they, God visited them, encouraged them, brought them to a place of joy even in the midst of all this. They had to decide whether to, you know, this is Christmas. You know, Christmas is right here. How are we going to deal with this and enjoy Christmas? And they decided to have a memorial that week, just before Christmas, and they did. And the girl who usually ran, you know, taking care of all the food and everything, her husband was in the hospital. So Gretchen had to step in and bring to that church everything she'd ever learned and done here. And she and her family and the other ladies, they just poured themselves in, and they all became this family of people there to help this other family go through their crisis. And the, the family whose baby died shared everything, shared about the angels, shared about their experience, how it felt, what went on. And, and I watched as God um, just melted them together in a way that we would never think to do. But he knows. He knows how to make a family. And, um, and as, as this began to happen, I began to see all the things that we were looking for coming to pass, all the... It still wasn't going to happen overnight. It still wasn't going to be as quick as they were used to things happening here. But I could see the groundwork of what was going on. And they had the kids were discouraged because the spirit didn't move like they thought he should. And the services wasn't like this. I mean, look at what a glorious service we had this morning. It wasn't like it was kind of dry. And they were all discouraged. And the last day, last Sunday I was there, they asked me to preach. And I'm like, I don't want to minister, you know. But I told God. If, you, if they ask, I will, and so I did, and there were a lot of guests there that week, and spirit really moved, and not like they'd experienced before, and still going. It's like I was able to kick off something in God that, that made a difference in their church, you know, and, um, and it was like a turning point for them, and Jeremy was starting to have his turn. You know, Gretchen had gone through her thing, and Jeremy carried her through it, and now Jeremy was going through it. His job was not paying much, working harder than ever before. He was discouraged. But then they all turned around and began to support Jeremy, began to build him up. And all these things added to, to helping him. And um, I, I wanted to encourage you that you are more important to each other than you ever suspected. Please reach out to each other. Find out what's going on in each other's lives. Be there for each other. Be the family God intended for you to be. last thing I want to share is that I got an email, a text from Gretchen this morning. And wee hours of the morning, and she says, Mom, you won't believe what happened at youth group, uh, the first youth group of the new season. She said one of the youth tried to hang himself during worship. How st- stunning is that? You know what her response was? This is where we belong. This is where God has sent us for a reason. We're going to make a difference in this kid's life. We matter to them now. Now we know. Would any of you think that? Would, would, we got to think that way. When you walk into the room, you make a difference because Christ is in you. And I pray that if there are kids in our youth group feeling that way, they're going to say, will you help me, Emily? I have to say this because one of my grandkids was struggling with suicide and she heard about it. You know what her response was? Well, why doesn't she come and live with me for a while? I know I could help her. I know I could love her enough. 
What a beautiful response. You guys, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's be the solution. Be the solution here, New York City, Honduras. Be the solution in New Zealand, wherever God sends you. You're here to gain from God, yes, but you are here to give to his people. You are his solution. Thank you very much. There's going to be some stuff shown. You can watch or you can come up for prayer at the end of this. Thank you. So if you have to go, I know it's Super Bowl Sunday and all of that. You're dismissed. You can hang out and watch the uh, video stuff that's going on. If you need prayer, there'll be some uh, students up here, students up here praying. Um, Otherwise, the Lord bless you and keep you. There'll be no official dismissal beyond this point. Go in peace.